Hello, 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 good morning. I welcome you wonderfully to church this morning. Praise God forevermore. Wonderful Father, we just want to thank you for what you're going to do in our midst today. Thank you for your people that are on this call, on this broadcast, and those who are going to watch this later or listen to the podcast. I want to thank you all, Marigo, that what we're going to share this morning will be a blessing to them. We'll lift burdens. We'll set someone free in the name of Jesus. That someone today will hear the word of God and they will be on fire for the Lord Jesus. They will realize this is the message that they have been waiting for. Thank you all, Marigot. Let there be a connection in their spirit to know deep down that this message today is meant for them. Lift shackles, lift shackles, remove veils, set people free, glorify the name of Jesus. Thank you, wonderful Father, wonderful Holy Spirit, move mightily now, touch lives, teach us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. We pray. Praise God forevermore. My name is Debbie Zbamigboe, and I welcome you to the Lighthouse Church. In this church, the ethos that God has placed in our heart, the mantra that we follow, the purpose for this ministry is to focus the believer on our right standing in Christ Jesus. Is to focus the believer on the identity that we have in Jesus. Why? Because we believe that identity precedes performance, which means when you know who you are in Jesus and you carry that as a consciousness, it changes the game for you. I've seen that in my own personal life. As I began to understand who I was in Jesus or who I am in Jesus, what God has made me in Christ, my life changed, totally, completely changed. No longer do I have panic attack or anxiety. No longer do I have to beg and beg and beg. Just from the mere thought in my heart, things just begin to happen. Why? Because I see myself the way God sees me. That reminds me, there was a time, I think two years ago or three years ago, uh, near, near my house here somewhere, I was, I, I normally go for a walk. You know, I used to do like prayer walk. You know, I will take the Bible and I'd just be walking and praying and just speaking tongues. I remember in one of those days, um, I was in the park and I sat down on the bench. And as I was praying, I sensed the Lord came around and sitting beside me. And he gave me a white egg um a white egg you know like like a chicken egg he gave me a white egg and he said hold it and i and i held it obviously this is like a trance that i i had here it wasn't some it wasn't something physical it was a trance okay and i held it and he spoke to me and said this is like your identity in christ don't let it ever drop protect it what does that mean it means god is saying was saying to me at that point in time that my identity in Jesus is the most important thing for me to guard. Which means after I've given my life to Jesus, I must live my life entirely remembering that my identity in Christ is so fragile that someone, if I'm not watching carefully over this identity, someone can mislead me for me to then start grasping at her, you know, as if I have lost my identity. That's why I'm so passionate about talking about the identity of the believer. If you have been coming to this church, this is what 
I have been called to teach, to teach you about the identity that you have in Jesus if you have given your life to Jesus. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, we are going to show you the beauty and the wonder of God, the love that God has for you so that you can come to a God of love. After you've come to God, what we are going to be going through with you in this ministry is keep showing you about who you are in Jesus. And I can tell you for a fact, guaranteed, that when you know who you are in Jesus, the issue of sin or reckless living or debauchery or a life of profligacy can never occur in your life. You know why? Because you are living out your identity. Identity is an inside job. Identity is an inside job. The illustration that I normally give is this. If you see someone who is royalty, thoroughly brought up in the way of royals, you cannot find somebody like that hanging out with the low-lifers. When I say hanging out with low-lifers, I say, it's like you just see the guy <laughs> doing, cr- doing crack, smoking weed, and you know living roughshod you can't find you can't find such a, a person a royal who has been brought up properly but do you know where royalty we are even of a more sure royalty than the royalty that we see in the physical why because our father is the king of the universe now because our father is the king of the universe there is a way god expects us to carry ourselves that's why in the book of first peter i think chapter 2 says we are royal priesthood which means we belong to the royal family of God. Therefore, as a prince or as a princess of God, there is a way God expects you to behave. But that behavior can only happen when you are entrenched in your identity in Jesus. Praise God. So today I'm going to be stepping into the continuation of the message we've been talking about for some months now. Uh, you know, And I would, I would deep dive today on a new direction. Now, if, you have, if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been looking at the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 to Joshua chapter 3. That's what we've covered thus far. And we got to Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, and we started talking about the Ark of the Covenant. One of the things we talk about the Ark of the Covenant, that the Ark of the Covenant actually itself represented the Lord Jesus. And that there are different elements of the Ark of the Covenant that typifies Jesus in different dimensions. The Ark itself was, was typified Jesus. The, the mercy seat on, on top of the ark typified Jesus. The cherubim that were over that was you know covering the, the mercy seat, they were protector of the glory of God. So in there we see the glory of God on top of the mercy seat. And then we got into the point where we started talking about Aaron's rod that boarded inside the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, and I said Aaron's rod that boarded typified the laws of Moses the old covenant and i said now that we are under the new covenant when you look at the priesthood of aaron which is part which is which is what that aaron's rod that bordered typified the priesthood of aaron you should no longer look at the priesthood of aaron as the way to relate to god now you should see that priesthood now has changed because the bible says that christ came from the lineage of judah not from the lineage of aaron because Christ came from the lineage of Judah in the physical, in the, in the natural when he came, it meant that God has chosen a new way for us to relate to him. Therefore, Christ became a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Those are the things we've spoken about before. Again, if you're joining us for the first time, you can go back onto our YouTube channel or on our podcast and you can go back and listen to the replay of this. Alright, so but now 
what I want to talk about today is, if you look at that Aaron's rod that boarded, something happened to Aaron's rod that boarded because God changed the priesthood. And now we're talking about if Aaron's rod that boarded typified the old covenant, the priesthood of Jesus typifies the new covenant. And that is what we have been called to preach. We have been called to preach the new covenant, not the old covenant. If you go into the old covenant, you should pull out Jesus from every single page of the old covenant. When you read the old covenant, you must ask the question, what does this mean now that Christ has died for me? And with that mindset, when you read the old covenant, trust me, you will see Jesus everywhere. <laughs> but, but if you do not look at the old covenant or read your Old Testament, the books of the Old Testament, from the lens of the new covenant, of, of the finished work of Jesus, when some things you read here will scare you. Praise God. God has changed the covenant. We are now under the new covenant. Praise God. Today, praise God forevermore. So today I will be talking about a message I titled Radically New. Radically New. Praise God forevermore. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible here says. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. Wow! The Spirit pours out life. Think about that. God said here, God is the one who has made you and I ministers who are focused entirely that's the key word entirely on the new covenant we are meant to focus on an entirely new covenant not the old covenant your focus when you wake up in the morning and as you go to bed at night is to say is to ask the question what is the purpose of my focus i must be focusing on what the new covenant so today i'm going to be talking about radically new talking about the new covenant praise god it's going to be a blessing to you so we have we have focused on the new covenant that pours out life we are not focusing on the old covenant that kills because if you look here it says the letter of the law that is based on the laws of Moses kills why because when you look at the laws there are over 600 laws in the old covenant that nobody can keep let's even say you're so good you kept 599 of those laws and you broke one or two or three or ten the, the, the law declares you guilty of all the laws so if you're not an adulterer but you, you, you slap your parents from time to time, you, God, God declares you guilty. The Lord declares you guilty of all the, the, the laws, even the one that you didn't break. So God has made us ministers of the new covenant. Why is the law a challenge for us? Look, the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7, that the law ministers death. You know, in verse 6 that we just look at now, it says, The letter of the law kills, but the spirit pours out life. But in verse 7, it says, The law ministers death. Look at what it says. It says, Now, if the ministry of death, the ministry of death, engraved in letters on stones, the ministry of death engraved in letters on stone, what were the things that were engraved on stones? They were the laws of Moses, the laws that Moses took from the mountain when he went to meet God. The Bible says that, 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 that law ministers death. The ministry of death 
was engraved on, on uh, in letters on stones. And finally, in fact, if you look at the Amplified Version, which might be showing on your screen, it says, it's the covenant of the law which led to death because of sin. Why did the law that was given, why did it lead to sin, to, 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 to death? Because of sin, because of the nature of sin. The nature of sin we have in us could not live up to those laws that God gave. So the law was given but the law produces death in us. Why? Because the law reminds us of our faults. The law reminds us of what we are not doing right. But because the law constantly reminds us of how we are not living up to the standard of God, we carry a consciousness of sin. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Which means when you carry a consciousness of sin, you are carrying a consciousness of death. I hope that is making sense. Alright. So God had to do something with that. God had to deal with that. I'm going to show you in a moment what God did. God had to deal with that. So now here, the Bible calls the law the ministry of death. Okay. Let's look at what the law is again. The law is also the ministry of condemnation. If you look in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 9 says, The ministry that brings condemnation open bracket the old covenant the law very clear this ministry the law brings what condemnation the bible says if that law has glory how much more does glory now overflow in the ministry that brings righteousness the new covenant so you see the new covenant brings righteousness the old covenant brings what condemnation so the old covenant condemnation the new covenant righteousness but you see when he brings righteousness what does he do the bible says here the new covenant declares the believers free of guilt and set them apart for God's special purpose. So essentially you can say as a new covenant believer you are free of guilt. Praise God. So are we saying that the law is bad? Is the Bible saying the law is bad? God forbid 100% the law is not bad. The thing is the law has a different purpose which we, I'm going to talk about today. You see, in 1 Timothy chapter 8 verse 10, I think I said to talk about this last week but I didn't finish it. You know, somebody called me after church and said, well, what, that, that sort of blesses me, you know, you know, but then the person asked one or two questions. So I tried to say, okay, let, I'm going to try to explain that even in this, in this session here so that you can understand it. Alright? So, look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8 to 10 says, we know that the moral code of the law, the law of God, is beautiful when applied as God intended it. Now, let me put it to you this way. One of the laws of God was, don't commit fornication. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Will it ever be right in a hundred years for you as a believer to lie? Of course not. It will never be right, will it? Of course not. But why did God say we should not lie? Why did God say we should not commit fornication? If I take the issue of fornication, for example, if you go sleeping around and sleeping around, two things, number one, you can get into, um, you can, you can have sexual disease, right? You can have, have is disease coming from from the kind of perversion. Now the other thing is that you are defiling your temple. There's no way in which that can be that can be right. So when God says don't do some things, is is for your own good. God is saying you are set apart. There's a there's a way that you must behave now because you're a child of God. So those things are not necessary. Okay. So just for the record, the law of God here, the Bible says, is beautiful when applied as God intended it. But look at verse 9. Verse 9 is shocking. Bible says, but actually, the law was not established for righteous people. <laughs> Look about that. 
the law was not established for righteous people which means if you are already righteous before god the law was not established for you what are you saying are we saying that when the law of moses was given to the children of israel then in the old testament are we saying that they are not righteous that's what i'm saying i'm saying that based on this text those people that received the law on the mountain they were not righteous they couldn't be righteous the only way for them to be righteous is for Christ to have died for them. And Christ hasn't died for them. So how did God relate to them when they were not righteous? That's why God instituted the day of atonement. The day of atonement, you can check it out in Leviticus chapter 16 or 17. talks about the Father. On that day, God said they should bring bulls and goats and they will kill the, 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 the bulls and the goats. And they will get, get the blood and put it in the sanctuary. All right, they will commit, uh, confess all of their sin on the goat, and that goat will be sacrificed, and the blood of the bulls and goat will be offered to God. So God, looking forward to the death of Jesus in the future, gave them righteousness on credit, <laughs> but they were not really righteous. So the law was not meant for righteous people. But are we righteous? The Bible says, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one, that every believer is righteous. Look at what he says. He says. God made him that knew no sin to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the moment Christ became sin for us, we became his righteousness. When we place our faith in that work that he did on Calvary's hill, in the finished work of, of, of Christ at Calvary's hill, God declared us righteous apart from works. Not because of what we are doing, because we have placed our faith in what Christ has done. God declared you and I righteous. So the law was not established for righteous people. If you have given your life to Jesus, God declares you righteous. Therefore, the law was not established for you. So what is the purpose of the law? Look at what it says. It says, but the law was established to bring conviction of sin to the unrighteous. Like I told you before, those guys were under the old covenant. They were unrighteous right the law was set up to convict them for them to know you are not righteous if you're trying to walk up to a high standard and try to become self-righteous this is the this is the bar that god said you cannot reach it and that will eventually push us all toward to jesus and say i give up i i need a savior this scripture here says the law was established to bring the revelation of sin to evildoers, rebellious people, the sinners without God, those who are vicious and perverse, and to those who strike their father or their mothers, that's those who are, um, who are you know, children that have misbehaved, sinners, murderers, rapists, <laughs> those who are sexually impure, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, those who break their oaths, all those who oppose the teaching of godliness and purity in the church, they are the ones the law is for. So we use the law now for somebody who comes to your church and and they are bragging on their on themselves they are they are saying i'm not uh, they, they, maybe maybe you're, you're in school you're in school and you're talking about the, the goodness of god our god has made you righteous somebody say who cares about god i'm right by myself i'm i, I only believe in science I'm blah 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 and they can talk about all the things that they believe in they can talk about the religious or some other religion that they they, they, they possibly are following you you take the law here or the thou shalt not. <laughs> I said, this is what God said. That shall not do. That shall not do. Can you check whether you are meeting this? And the person will realize, by virtue of the laws of God, that they fall short. And then that will push them to say, I want to give my life to Jesus. That is the purpose of the law. Praise God. All right. So the law was not made for 
righteous people. The law was not made for righteous people. So what has God made available for us to live by under the new covenant? Let me show you something here. Let me show you something here. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible says, if you, re- if you rely on works of keeping the law for salvation, you live under the curse, the curse of the law. For it is written, utterly causes everyone who fails to practice every detail and requirement that is written in this law. What he's saying here is, what I said earlier, if you keep 600 of the, uh, 595 of the laws or 600 of the laws and you fail in two or three, the law placed a curse over your life. The law placed a curse over your life. I'll show you an example. Let me show you. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy, let's go a step there. We've got Deuteronomy, I believe, is in verse 28. There are a number of curses uh, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 that um, it's very important to know that if you're trying to live by the laws of Moses and you fail in one, and the Bible says if you fail in one, you, the, the law condemns you and places you under the whole of the curse. You realize that it's actually, it's actually stupid to try to live by those laws. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, yeah, I think from verse 15 here, from verse 15 here, <laughs> the Bible says, But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, to observe to do all his commandment and his statutes, which I command you this day, then all these causes shall come upon you and overtake you. Cause shall you be in the city, cause shall you be in the field, cause shall you be cause shall be the basket, your basket and your store, cause shall be the fruit of your body, and so on and so forth. There are a lot of causes placed here that if you don't follow all all that God has commanded. Can you do all that God has commanded by your own power? You cannot do it. So now, these people, I can just imagine, every single time they fail in one of these laws, they start feeling, oh man, cause is upon my life, cause is upon my life. Do you want to live like that? I don't think so. God doesn't want you to live like that. And that is why he brought us the new covenant. That's why 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 that we read earlier says, God has made us able ministers of the new covenant. God has made us people who are ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant god saw us carrying this burden of curse upon our lives because of the weakness of our flesh because by our own flesh by our own body we cannot meet all of these laws and god had to do something about it and that's why god brought the new covenant praise god forevermore praise god forevermore now let's look at it's yeah, i want to show you seven things now that i've said the preambles about the why the walking by the law is fruitless i want to show you seven things seven things that the new covenant means for you if you are under the new covenant of grace there are seven things that i want to point out here that 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 will show you what the new covenant means for you now seven is a number of perfection so seven things that the new covenant makes for you are you ready are you ready are you excited i am excited to share this with you praise god now i'm going to show you something here that the lord showed me the first thing i want you to know is that the new covenant is radically different from the old covenant why because it is better and it's more efficient the new covenant is far far better and more efficient in hebrews chapter 7 verse 19 the bible says for the law has never made anyone perfect the law has never keyword never made anyone perfect but in its place in the place of the law there's a replacement in the place of the law a far better hope did a far better hope which gives us confidence 
to experience intimacy with God. The Bible says that uh, the, the law can never make you perfect. Perfect is talking about to be matured, to be brought to your, your full expression, to be able to live life the way God intended. The law cannot achieve that for you. But a far better hope that God introduced did. And this far better hope gives you the confidence to experience intimacy with God. Praise God forevermore. Forever Which means the only way to express the kind of intimacy that God desires, like the one that Adam had in the garden before he fell, was this thing called a far better hope. But this far better hope is not a thing, it's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. My God. You know, I, I just thinking about that just makes me excited. You know, a far better hope. Christ is the hope of our lives. Christ is the foundation of our lives. Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. Therefore, he is the one that is that has inaugurated and sealed this new covenant. And by virtue of his blood that brought this new covenant to be, to be we can be rest assured that we have the, the confidence to experience intimacy with God. You know the word intimacy with God in this text is the word into me see into me see which means come into me and see which means god is not hiding anything from us god is not hiding anything from us god is not playing anky panky with the believer the bible says god in god is light and in him there is no darkness at all which means with god what you see is what you get what you see is what you get god is light and it's light God is light and his life as well is the light of men. So which means the life of God brings light to everything. So when he's talking about intimacy, he's talking about the fact that you can relate to God. God is not hiding anything from you. And that is a radical statement. Ephesians 2, 2 verse 13 in the Amplified Version, it says this. But now at this very moment, not tomorrow, not yesterday, at this very moment, in Christ Jesus, you who were who once were so very far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Bible says you are no longer an outsider looking in. You are not a stranger to the covenant. You are actually belong to Christ. You are not far off. No, right now you have been brought near to Christ. In fact, Romans 8 38 to 39 in the Passion Transition says. I live with the confidence that there's nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Bible here says there's nothing in the universe that has the power to separate us from God's love. And I was sharing this on, on in, in midweek service earlier this week. I was saying that the two words were used in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39 that are quite profound. The first one was to separate. Separate means you, you bring two things, you, you separate them, right? But if you go to verse 39, it says, no power could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love. So you see, there's the first thing is, there's no power that can separate us, keep us apart. There's also no power that can distance us. It's not possible. That is how delightfully close you have been brought in here to God. Under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon Elijah and Elisha and Moses comes upon them, never in them. But under the new covenant, the under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit comes into us, inside of us, living inside of us, and that is a radical statement. Now, question is, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, 
how should you relate how should you face life's challenges should you face life as if god is so far away sitting in heaven and there's a there's a chasm between between you and him or should you realize that actually he lives inside of you that everywhere you go he goes that consciousness will change your life carry a consciousness that the god of the universe walks with you talks with you hangs out with you lives in you will change your life forever praise god forevermore number two number two things that the new testament gives us gives us or the new covenant gives us number two thing is it is established upon better promises which means the new covenant is established upon unconditional promises god's blessings upon us under the new covenant is unconditional i find people say is when you pray at 12 midnight that's when god moves <laughs> what a condition what a condition just think about that let's say you are in the uk right now and you are you decide to say i want anger with god at 12 12 midnight and you you decide to do that if god shows up to you at 12 midnight what about the guy who's in china that has a different time zone that means that guy has missed god you see we are putting conditions some people say oh unless you pray you know for 100 days that's when god moves conditions there's nothing wrong with prayers there's nothing wrong with fasting i love prayer i love fasting but not not for the motive of saying unless i do this god will not move in my life no god already moved before i showed up second peter chapter 1 verse 3 says all of the things that pertain to life and godliness god has already given to us god gave us those things before we even thought we were ever going to have a need for them praise god so under the new covenant we have better promises you did not do anything to get it you sure don't need to do anything to maintain it let me explain what i'm saying to you here god relates to us simply by his act of grace not because we follow 16 steps to a righteous life no when we put rules and conditions to receiving from god we are law-minded we have become we have become a law-minded person let me show you what i'm saying you see under the law God said, if you do this, I will do this. For example, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, God says, if you obey me and keep my commandment and keep my covenant, then I will make you a treasure. If you obey me and keep my commandment, I will make you what? A treasure. All right. But you see, under the new covenant, God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe in verse 9, it says, you know, yeah, you are God's chosen treasure. So God made, made you a, a chosen treasure, not because you did anything. It's his choice. God unequivocally chose to make you his what? His own, his chosen treasure because you have put your faith in Jesus. And God also says, I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. You know, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, I will be merciful. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. There's no condition. No conditions here. And it says, and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. God says, I will do that. I will be merciful unto their righteousness and their sins and lawlessness I will remember no more. God says, I will do that. Right? You, did, you, are not, you didn't do anything for God to say he will do that. The only thing you did was what? To put your trust in the Lord Jesus. And that's why the new covenant has far, far better promises. The better promise essentially is that it's not, there's no condition to it. Praise God forevermore. Now, number three number three number three is under the law obedience springs from fear but under grace under the new covenant obedience issues from a willing heart do you see both of them 
talk about obedience, but the motive behind each one of them is different. Under the old covenant, you are afraid. If I don't do this, God will not do this. If I don't do this, God will not do this. Under the new covenant, because God has done this, I am doing this. You see, God already moved. You focus on the goodness of God and then you just follow. Under this one, if I don't do this, I will not get this. If I don't do this, I will not get this. Under the new covenant, God has already done this. So I follow. Totally radical statement. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2, the Bible says, If the message of the law, spoken and confirmed by angels, brought a just penalty to every disobedient violation. Bible says that the old covenant was issued through the ministration of angels. And when you violate one of them, you get punished. Right? <laughs> Alright. And that is why I gave you example in Deuteronomy chapter 28 earlier. When I started talking about if you don't obey this law, cost is this, cost are you here, cost are you here, cost are you here. But now let me show you what God did under the, under the new covenant. Right? Let me show you what God did. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. The curse of the law that I read to you earlier in Galatians chapter 28 from verses 15. Those curses of the law that if you break them, curses, curse, 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 curse under the old covenant, under the new covenant here, the Bible says Christ died. He paid the price, the full price, the full price. To do what? To set us free from the curse of the law. Christ set us free. What does it mean to be free again? Ah, to be free. <laughs> That's what it means. It means God set you free completely from the curse of the law. That's the reason why, you know, when I hear people talk about generational curse, I just laugh. I just laugh because I don't know where that is coming from. There's no generational cost on the believer. 100%. Where is it going to come from? When he paid the price. He, the Bible here says he paid the full price. There's no price left that Christ has not paid. Praise God. Father, I just want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the price he paid on Calvary's hill. Is the complete price that will ever be needed to be paid for my sin. My sins have been paid for. I am righteous and holy as God is. Because God gave me his righteousness. Praise God forevermore. So Christ took the cause. So we don't have to take it. To preach a message that he curses upon the believer is to undermine the sacrifice of Jesus. I'll say that again. To preach a message that put believers under the mindset of running, operating under a curse is to undermine the sacrifice of Jesus. When did Jesus Christ pay the price for the curse of the law? When, is it, was it when we were right? Of course not. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place. The death we meant to die, he died in our place. While we were still lost and ungodly. That is love by none. You, God didn't wait for you to get your act right before he did it. Christ paid the price for you before you showed up. Praise God. Now, look at what, what 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 says. If you understand this, it will set you free. 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 says, Love never brings fear. The love that God has for us that died in our place, that made Christ to die in our place before we even committed any crime at all. If you understand that love, the Bible says that love never brings fear. For fear is always related to punishment. When you are fearful, it's because you are afraid that judgment is coming. 
But the Bible says, love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far away from our hearts. If we really understand how much God loves us and what God has done for us in Christ, fear is far from our hearts. A person who constantly, a person who walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached that perfection of love. And it's not, this is not guilt tripping. If you have not understood this, okay, just keep coming to church. Keep listening to the message of love, of the grace of God, of the goodness of God. You are going to get there. Praise God forevermore. Praise God forevermore. Now, verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 9 to 10 then says, there's still much more to say of this love that God has for us. This under the new covenant. Just look at what it says. And there's still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are not righteous in my sight. Which means under the new covenant, what you hear from God, what you must hear from God, what, you, what God constantly, constantly says over your life is this, you are now righteous in my sight. That's the word I got. Those are the words that God said. Those are the words that God said to you. God says those words over your life. You are now righteous in my sight. Now, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. I mean, I cannot go deep into this, but I preach on this particular text last week, last week, um, Wednesday service. Please go on YouTube, you'll find it. I think the message is called the love of God, the endless love, love of God. Just go back and watch it. I spoke about the fact that you will never experience the wrath of God. Why? Under the new covenant, you cannot experience the wrath of God. So when somebody is saying, oh, the coronavirus is because God is putting wrath on the world, it's, that's not the Bible. That's not the gospel. You will never experience the wrath of God. Why? Because you are under the new covenant. That's what the Bible teaches. Read it for yourself. You will never experience the wrath of God. Now, the Bible then further goes on to say, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God so now here is an amazing truth if while we were still sinners god fully reconciled us to himself through the through the death of his son think about that bible say when we're still sinners god fully not partly fully reconciled us to himself you know the word reconciliation means two people are fighting reconciliation means to bring harmony together to be together the bible says while we were still sinners sinners god fully reconciled us god essentially counseled any form of acrimony that is between us God cancelled it. Why? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. God said there's no more enmity. There's no distance between us. The Bible then goes on further to say, but something greater than friendship is ours now. Why? Because now we are God's children. Now we are at peace with God. And because we share in his resurrection life, how much more shall we be rescued from sin's domino? The Bible here says that if you truly understand the fact that why you were still sinners, God fully reconciled you to himself. Now that you are now born again, if you truly understand the gravity of what God has done, sin cannot dominate you. That's what he's saying. Now, the question is, if God paid the price, the full price for our redemption by the blood of Jesus before we showed up, how do you think somebody would go to hell for the sin that Christ has paid for? Nobody would go to hell for the sin for any sin that they have committed. No. They will go to hell because they refused the sacrifice of Jesus. The sin of the whole world has been paid for. You know, if you go to 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, the Bible says that if anyone sin, 
we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The Bible then says he is the propitiation for our sin. Not just for our sin alone, but for the sins of the whole world. Christ paid for the sins of the entire world. So nobody in the world is going to hell fire because of any sin, because Christ paid for the sin already. Why they will go is because they rejected the Lordship of Jesus. They rejected the sacrifice that God has put in place to redeem them. Praise God forevermore. Now, if you understand that, that radically changes the whole game. It means that when we are even preaching and say, come and give your life to Jesus, the way what we are going to be preaching is different. What we are going to be preaching is God has already reconciled you to himself. Now, you will be reconciled to God. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think verse, um, verse 19 thereabouts says. He says that God, God is it's like God through us is making us to plead with people and say, be reconciled to God. Why? Because God already is reconciled to you. God already reconciled himself to the world through Jesus. But now God is saying, you be reconciled. Which God said, I've done my own part. Why don't you reach out and, and, and grab my offer? Praise God. So people will go to hell because they have refused the sacrifice that Christ made. But they will not go to hell for sin. Because the issue of sin, God dealt with 100% and carries in forever. Praise God forevermore. All right, number four, number four. I've got, I've got, I've got three more to talk about. Number four. The new covenant secures the personal revelation of the Lord to every believer, which means everybody who is a believer should know God. You don't need to go through a mediator. You don't need to say, ah, I have to, unless my pastor teaches me about God, I won't know God. God wants you to know Him by yourself. God wants you to spend time in the in the Bible and study. I was talking to a, a, a lady, I think it was this, I said, start reading, reading the book of Romans. Start reading the Bible by yourself. Because once you start to read the Bible and you carry this mindset I've, I've been talking about, about your identity in Christ, as you read the Bible, trust me, there will be a change in your life. God, the, the new covenant secures the personal revelation of God to the believer. You, we don't need to have prayer shots. We don't need for, for somebody to pray over a bottle and say, this is the way God moves. We don't need to say to somebody, I see a vision. No. People of God, there's nothing wrong with vision. There's nothing wrong with prophecy. God gave those things to the church to, to, to be the church up. But you must make an effort to say, you know what? I am going to know about my father. I'm going to know about my father. Hebrews 8.11 says, and the result of this will be that everyone will know me as Lord. Everyone will know him as Lord. There will not be any need at all to teach their fellow citizens or brothers by saying, you should know Yahweh, you should know Yahweh. No. Since everyone will know me inwardly, from the little child to the to the oldest, from the most unlikely to the most distinguished. God says here in the new covenant, new covenant, you can know God. So if you're a child on the call today and you say, think, I don't know God, God doesn't speak to me. I'm asking you, start reading the Bible. I dare you, read the Bible. Start from the book of Romans. Start the book of Romans. Romans, you know, it's like romance, right? Start the book of Romans. You know, the first three chapters of the book of Romans would, would talk up, is talking to the whole world about how everybody is under the burden of sin. But as you step into so chapter 4, chapter 5, you begin to see the beauty of what Christ has done for you. Now, when you read that with this, this viewpoint, I'm telling you, I guarantee you, you are going to have a change in your life. You will fall in love with Jesus so much so you are going to get so excited when you're talking about him. Praise God forevermore. All right, number five, number five. This is probably the best I love the most. It assures the complete oblivion of sins. The new covenant assures the complete oblivion of sin. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17 says, I will not ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds. This is what God says. God says, I will never again remember your sins and lawless deeds. So, why do we preach sin consciousness in church? 
because we are overlooking this truth. God says, I will not ever again remember your sins and lawless deeds. So why are we remembering what God doesn't remember? Because unless we preach law-mindedness, unless we preach about sin and make people feel bad, we think they are not going to make it. They are making heaven is not predicated on what you preach. They are going to making heaven is predicated on the sinless blood of Jesus that they have put their trust in. In fact, Jude chapter 1, I think verse 26 says that God is able to keep us from stumbling into sin. I, I, want, to, I, I want to clearly read so I can pick up the right one. I think my team, my crew will put something on the, on the screen. Verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. If you read, read it in the Passion Translation, it says, The one that there's unto the one who is able to keep you from stumbling into sin. God is the one who is keeping you from stumbling into sin. It is not by your effort. I'm not saying. We don't have a part to play. Please get me here. I'm not saying you can just live anyhow you like. There are no consequences. What I'm saying to you is that God is the one who is working in you to will and to do for his own good pleasure. Praise God. So the Bible here says, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 17, I will not ever again remember your sins and lawless deeds. Now, but look at what happens under the law. Under the law, they are reminded of their sins every single year. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 3. The same chapter says, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Every year they remember, we're still a sinner, we're still a sinner. You should, you should go to church and be reminded that you are righteous. Yes, you should go to church and someone tells you, dude, you're righteous. Lady, you're righteous. You should leave church with the mindset that says, I'm a righteous child of God. Because when you carry a righteousness consciousness, it changes your life forever. Praise God. Alright, now let me ask you something that is amazing. You know, in the book of Numbers, Numbers 23-21, I want to make an audacious statement here. But before I make the audacious statement, I want to explain to you something that happened in the book of Numbers. Numbers 23-21 is a story about when this man called Balaam was asked by a, a guy called Balak to come and cause the children of Israel. When Balaam got to the place to, to cause the children of Israel, you know, God told him, you can't cause them, you can't cause them. And he said, I cannot cause those whom God has not caused. Do you see that? Those are children who say, even though they are rebellious, they go against God. He said, I cannot pronounce a curse on those whom God has not cursed. God has not cursed. God did not curse them. Right? How can I pronounce a curse on whom God has not cursed? But that's not where I'm going. Look at what God says, said to God prophetically through the mouth of Balaam spoke over the children of Israel. He said, God has not observed, observed wickedness in Jacob, for he is forgiven. Jacob there means Israel. Nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with Israel, and the shout of their king is among the people. Bible says God has not beheld iniquity. God has not beheld iniquity in Israel. And I ponder, but these are people that are always rebellious, always following idol, and God is saying here, he has not beheld iniquity in them. Question. If God did not behold iniquity on these people under the old covenant that are always messing up, how could he behold iniquity in you when you are now in, 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 indwelled by the Spirit of God himself? When you are now indwelled by the Spirit of holiness, how is it possible that you look at yourself and say, I'm a sinner, oh God, I'm a sinner, I'm not qualified. How could you? It is because you have been taught wrong. You have believed wrong. You haven't seen yourself the way God sees you. Now, let me show you something here. Let me show you something here. Let me show you something that will bless you. You see Romans chapter 4 verse 7 to 8. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. It was a prophetic statement by King David when he, when he was speaking about our time, the new creation time. Look at what he says. He says, he says here, What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven? Rebellion has been forgiven. Kaput, done. Rebellion has been forgiven. And whose sins are covered by blood? What happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speaks over them what i will never hold your sins against you you know before i hear i told you what the lord is speaking over you lord speaking over you what you are not righteous in my sight here the lord is speaking another word over you what what is he saying <laughs> look at what he says he says i will never hold your sins against you you know the word never is the word umi o-u iphone m-e in the greek word the the greek word is the language by which uh, the new testament was written and umi means never ever certainly not not at all by no means it means god is saying it will never happen god is saying to you i will certainly not by no means your sins i will never hold your sin against you that is a radical statement somebody here on the call might not believe it but go back and listen to it go back allow the word of god to minister to you to embrace the truth that i'm sharing with you here what word is used to describe those whose sins have been wiped off the bible used the word blessed that's the reason why you can say i'm blessed in the morning I'm blessed in the afternoon. I'm blessed in the evening time. Praise God. The Bible says that you are blessed because God does not impute sin to you. Why? Because God sees in you the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says, Christ is our righteousness. It means that you have been clothed with Christ. God sees you the way he sees Jesus. God sees you righteous, holy, and blameless. Praise God forevermore. Point number six. Point number six. The new covenant rests upon an accomplished redemption. Your redemption has happened. It is not going to happen. It has already happened. Praise God forevermore. And Christ is the guarantor of this redemption. Hebrews 9.12 says, He has entered, Christ now has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all, not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but by the sacred blood of his own. And he alone has made our salvation secure forever. Your salvation is secured forever. Praise God. I think in the book of 1 John chapter 5 it says, Little children, I write this to you so that you should not sin. No, 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 says that. But 1 John chapter 5 says that, um, that you have eternal life. I write this into you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will know that you have eternal life. In the Passion Translation, it says, so that you will be assured, you, you will not doubt and be assured that you have eternal life. And I'm saying to you here, if you have given your life to Jesus, you have eternal life. That eternal life is secured forever. Now, remember I told you about last week, I told you about the fact that God, from God's point of view, your salvation is secured forever, but you can walk away. You can walk away. You say, I don't want to do it again. You can say, I'm, I'm leaving Jesus. I want to go and follow Allah. Then you walk away from salvation. But from God's point of view, salvation that God has given you is secured. Okay? And I also told you about the reason why you should not dabble into sin. That sin hardens your heart. It hardens your heart so that you are no longer sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if you become insensitive to the Holy Spirit, you can get to the point where you say, you know what? I don't want to serve this God again. I'm just going to walk away. Alright? So, there's a balance here. But from God's point of view, your salvation is secured forever. Praise God. The last point. This new covenant that you have cannot be broken like the old covenant. It cannot be broken. The old covenant people broke God's laws over and over and over. 
but under the new covenant you know what god did <laughs> god made a covenant with himself god did not make a make, make god did not make a covenant with you god made a covenant with himself of which you are a benefactor under the old covenant god made a covenant with israel with people and they couldn't keep it. They tried, they failed. They tried, they failed. They tried, they failed. God said, okay, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a covenant with myself. But how did God do that? God sent his son, Jesus, in the nature of humans to be like us. And God made a covenant with Jesus. Jesus Christ, the God-man. God made a covenant with Jesus. The, the new covenant can only be broken if Christ can be, if Christ, if Christ is no longer there. And we know that Christ is, is will never, be, Christ will always stand, stand sure, right? So, which means the covenant the new covenant can never in a million years be broken. Why? Because the God made a covenant with Jesus. God made a covenant with himself. The Bible says in Galatians 3 verse 20, Now, the mediator or go-between in a transaction is not needed for just one party. Whereas God is only one and was the only one given the promise to Abraham. But the law was a contract between two, God and Israel. Is validity dependent on both what he's saying here is the old covenant can only be valid when two people uphold their part of the bargain israel on the one part god on the one part we know god always uphold his own part right but these guys always they always fail but what god did when god made a promise to abraham which is the type of the new covenant was god made a covenant with himself god made a covenant with himself that was fulfilled by jesus so because god and jesus christ are one God made a covenant with himself and that's why the new covenant can never be broken. Praise God. Now, as I round up, if you live by the old covenant mandate, you will still be a lawbreaker. You'll be a lawbreaker like the old covenant saying because you cannot keep the rules. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34, I will paraphrase it. The Bible says, Behold, it is coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. You know, the covenant is between God and Israel. But here, God says, that covenant did not work because they broke it. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. God says, I'm going to change all that stuff. I'm going to make a new covenant with these people because this one that I'm making with them, they keep breaking it. Alright? Okay. Now, under the new covenant, God made a covenant with himself. So we said that that covenant cannot be broken. But what is the key premise of this covenant? Let's continue to read. Verse 33 here says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, the law of life, the law of love, and I will write it on their heart. They will love me. They want to love me. Okay? Um, and I will be their God. Yeah, God is our God and is our Father, and we are His people. All right, verse 34. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor, and each brother saying, Know the Lord. We covered that before. For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. But the conclusion here says, Why? For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. To preach, to preach sin consciousness to those who, who to those whom God has said He will never remember their sin anymore, is law mindedness. Is undermining what Christ has achieved on the cross. If you're right here on this call and you're watching this thing and this message has challenged you, it's okay. If this message has blessed you, it's also okay. If this message you don't agree with it, it's also okay. Ask God for direction. 
pray to God about it. Go back and re- listen to this message over and over again. Every scripture that I have quoted, go back and read it by yourself and ponder on them and the Lord will make the revelation uh, uh, secure to you in Jesus' name. I want to pray with for you. If you have, this is your first time of hearing this radical message and you have been law-minded and you think, God, so much, the body is being lifted from my heart. But right, now, but right now, I'm struggling to believe it. I just want to pray with you. I just want to pray with you. Father Lord, I pray for your child, this person right now on the call, who is struggling to believe this. I pray, Almighty God, that the veil will be torn apart. Torn apart. The veil that is blocking the entrance of your world will be torn apart right now in the name of Jesus Christ. That the floodgate of love of God will wash over this person right there where they are, right now in the name of Jesus Christ. That they will see themselves the way you see them. That they will embrace what Christ has already done for them in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Perhaps you are also on the call. You are saying, Ah, this is so beautiful. This is what I've been waiting for. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Almighty God, I pray for those ones right now who have seen this revelation and it's just mind-blowing. Lord, I pray that you secure them. You keep them. You lead them to the right teaching. The right people that will teach them. That they will not get confused after they leave this place and go to listen to a wrong message that will, that will put them back under, under the yoke of bondage. That this one will live a life that is free from 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 bondage to sin and bondage to a lifestyle of debauchery that they will know that they have been saved from sin but not saved to sin in the name of jesus thank you almighty god that you hold them and keep them by your hand by your own right hand in the name of jesus christ elevate them promote them keep them uphold them strengthen them make them a beacon of hope in their generation in jesus name we have prayed amen now if you're on the call right now you have not given your life to jesus you've had this message maybe this is your first time of hearing about this message you'll say you know what i want to give my life to jesus i want to pray with you i want to pray with you now you just need to repeat after me dear lord jesus i believe in you i believe you died for me i give you my life receive me i declare you as my lord and savior thank you for having me in Jesus name and the Bible says if you believe in your heart that Christ died for you and he was raised from the dead and you confess that with your mouth the Bible says you are saved praise God forevermore hallelujah hallelujah all right this new covenant we only fail if Christ fails and Christ will never fail because he said on that cross it is finished Say this with me. This affirmation has round up. I am a new covenant believer. I have and enjoy better promises from my Father God. I am God's chosen treasure, fully reconciled to my Father. There's no enmity between me and God. God is not looking me over for faults. I am faultless and blameless. My redemption is guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. My sins are forgiven forever. Praise God forevermore. If you would like to give, you see uh, a link on the screen. Give as the Lord laid in your heart and I'll be speaking to you another time. The Lord bless your giving and the Lord bless your going out and your coming. God bless you and I'll speak to you another time. Remember, you are blessed and highly favored. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for staying with us. We hope you've been blessed as much as we have. You can watch the replays of today's service at 10 a.m. on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and podcast. 
you can go through our YouTube channel for more content. You can also subscribe to our podcast on www.thelighthouse.org slash podcast. Our Sunday services commence every Sunday at 8 a.m. UK time. Our midweek service is at 6 p.m. every Wednesday. We look forward to you joining us. Until next time, please study and meditate on the word and may God bless you.